Just a brief uh, reading and meditation this morning. And if you're going to make one resolution today, I'd encourage you to make two. And uh, make sure that one of your resolutions is to make sure you take time each day this year to listen to God by opening the Bible and reading it and to talk to God in prayer. And we've uh, provided a five-day reading plan. You'll see copies of this on the welcome table as you leave. And uh, on five days of every week, uh, there are readings, and so you can use the other two days to either catch up or to, um, uh, to prepare for the readings for Sunday. And it'll take you through the whole Bible in a year. What a great thing that would be at the end of 2023 to say, well, I've read the whole Bible, and uh, it's a very easy, readable plan. So please take uh, a copy of that, stick it in your Bible, and make good use of that this year. And to husbands and fathers particularly, I want to encourage you to lead your family spiritually in 2023 in family devotions. I try to lead family devotions uh, with books that give short reflections from the Bible and then, uh, then lead in prayer. Uh, when the children were little, well, we would just uh, use obviously very short times and different sort of little books that would engage them. Um, and currently, because they're a bit older and Sean and I are a bit older, we're currently using this book, Reading Between the Lines by Glenn Scrivener. It's very echoey up here, Sol. Can you just turn it down a smidge? I, I hear ringing. Do you hear ringing? Yeah, let's turn it down a smidge, can we? Um, so um, if you went on Amazon, uh, it would cost you 15 pounds, 10 pounds today. I think there's about eight or nine copies left. And uh, dads, it, first job should be for dads to go down there and get a copy. And you think, well, I've never done this. I've never led the family in family devotions. I don't know what to do. I'm going to show you how simple this is because I'm going to do it right now. All right? Here's a particular reflection I thought was very helpful. Um, and so, you know, basically, whenever you get your family together, whenever you're most likely to get your family together, for us, it's the evening meal. At the evening meal, we finish our food. And before we leave the table to do washing up, I, I grab hold of this book. And uh, let me, let's go to page, uh, eight, uh, page 48, day 18. And uh, we're going to read what Glenn has to say about the sweat of your brow. He's uh, working through the, the bits of Genesis. So this is, what, this is what I do with the family. The sweat of your brow. If something is easy, we say, no sweat. If it's about hard graft, we'll get it by the sweat of our brow. This phrase is taken from Genesis 3, where the Lord God pronounces his curse on Adam's labors. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. Genesis 3, verse 19. It means that man must live through difficulties, exertion, labor, toil. This explains to us why we experience our work as hard graft. It's all part of the fall. But considering the sweat of our brow will also help us to understand God's work. How so? Sweat is mentioned in three different ways in the Bible. Once with Adam, Genesis 
Once with the high priest, Ezekiel 44, verse 18, and once with Jesus, Luke chapter 22, verse 44. Tracing through the history of sweat will tell us not only about our work, the story of sweat will tell us how God works in the world. First, let's think about Adam. Before the fall, work was no sweat, but with sin comes sweat. And this speaks of two things at least. First, there seems to be an added dimension of struggle, but there's also a sense of leakiness. Why do I say that? When you read through the priestly laws of Leviticus, people are unclean when they leak, when liquid, when liquid comes out of a person. I won't elaborate any further on that. When liquid comes out of a person, they are ceremonially unclean. Leakiness is not good. So in Ezekiel 44, we learn about the high priest. He's meant to wear robes that breathe well. Why? Because it wouldn't do to have the high priest sweating. We have that saying, don't we? Horses sweat, men perspire, women glow. Perhaps we've retained something of this priestly distaste for sweat. We feel it's undignified to sweat. The Old Testament seems to share this view. Well then, when we turn the page to the New Testament, what should we expect? When Jesus comes, he comes as the second Adam and as the great high priest who brings us into God's presence. So then, should we expect Jesus to sweat like the rest of us, to put his shoulders to the wheel and engage in the struggle? Or should we expect him as the ultimate high priest to say, no sweat? Will Jesus be a fellow struggler or will he float above it all without a trace of perspiration? In Luke chapter 22, we're in another garden. Not Eden, but Gethsemane. It's the night before Jesus would die to atone for the sins of the world. He's in the midst of performing the ultimate high priestly act. And as he agonizes in prayer, his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Christ put his shoulder to the wheel harder than us all. His work as the true Adam and the true high priest would be an intense, costly, and sacrificial labor. He joined us in our cursed state, rolled up his sleeves, and got to work. Jesus doesn't say, no sweat. And he doesn't simply raise a sweat. Because of his astonishing love, he pours himself out in blood, sweat, and tears. And he does it for you. Whatever labors are required of you today, rest in the truth. Christ has already done the real work. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Father, how humbling it is 
to see in our mind's eye Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before his crucifixion in agonized prayer was there any other way that your wrath could be taken away that the cup could be removed and yet there was no other way by which we could be saved than by Christ drinking that cup of your wrath down to its bitter dregs. And so we praise you again today that he was willing to sweat drops of blood in the garden to say, yet not my will, but your will be done. That he willingly went to the cross offering himself in the place of us unrighteous, ungodly sinners. He, the righteous, perfect, holy one, bearing your eternal condemnation for our sin. Oh, how we praise you and thank you at the start of a new year that because Christ has done the ultimate work, we can rest in Christ. Father, we thank you for each of the stories we've heard and how they're a snapshot in your amazing grace in each of the lives of those who shared it and how we rejoice with them at your faithfulness to their lives and how it gives us encouragement and joy that you're going to go before us in this year ahead, that all who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ will be fully saved, truly saved. Father, we thank you that we can labor in the work of the Lord, knowing that what we do is not in vain. And so we praise you and we thank you at the start of a new year. Fathers, we come to this remembrance table, this memorial of Christ's sacrifice. Would you enable us to experience afresh the wonder and joy that we can say Christ is ours and that we belong to him. That we are in Christ and that all your blessings are now ours in Christ. That we come to you, our, our heavenly Father, knowing that you love us, that you've poured out your spirit upon us, all because of the selfless sacrifice of your son. And so we give you praise and thanks. In Christ's precious name, amen.